Scripture reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. May, may God add a blessing to this reading. I'm uh, beginning this morning, uh, we're going to do a series, about a six or seven week series on the book of Ephesians, which is uh, one of the uh, Pauline epistles in the Bible, in the New Testament, uh, written to uh, the church at Ephesus, although some of the early documents don't actually mention Ephesus by name, and what that tells us is, is it was likely a circular letter, uh, that is, a letter that was written, meant to be kind of sent out to churches uh, in general. So it was probably passed around and sent out to several churches in Asia Minor, and uh, um, purportedly wrote, uh, Paul wrote it in Rome, although I will, I, without getting into it, I would say that that's debatable about whether that was actually written by Paul or not. Which doesn't especially matter. Uh, we, we read this because of what it says, not necessarily because of who wrote it. <laughs> right? So uh, we're going to observe what it says to us as uh, followers of Christ and as uh, people of God. And in this, uh, in this letter, we're, I, I will say it's, a, it's kind of a thick letter for summer you know it's not really it's not really what i would normally pick as a summer read ephesians uh, because it's just it's so packed thick with a lot of concepts and theological ideas and it's just it's rich it's rich with a lot of things uh, the author the paul has this way of compacting really big ideas in short little sentences well, not short, but it, in <laughs> in one or two sentences that will t I could spend all summer kind of unpacking one or two sentences of what Paul has to say. So it's a little heavy for summer, I guess, is what I'm saying. But it, it came up in the lectionary, and I think it would be a good uh, a good thing to uh, to look at. And today uh, we begin with this wonderful. Uh, this wonderful letter that talks to us about 
being blessed. And it comes to what I suspect is a very anxious early church. An early church that's very anxious about itself. Uh, Paul started many of the churches, and Paul and Paul's disciples started many of the churches in Asia Minor, in, the, in Ephesus and Galatia and Rome and uh, Thessalonica and Corinth and all of these places. Paul started a lot of these churches, and uh, when Paul left, they kind of found themselves floundering a little bit, not really sure uh, uh, about themselves, or they, they kind of some other people come in and start telling them things and they get a little confused and so it starts you know a fine church tradition of church conflict you know <laughs> and and church split and in addition to this anxiousness uh that comes out of just being a brand new church uh the other thing that that comes into play there's a group in Jerusalem that questions the legitimacy of these Pauline churches, and they, they kind of struggle with that. And then on top of that, uh, around 61, Nero starts persecuting the Christians in Rome anyway. And that, of course, sends a ripple of nervousness and stress out to these outer churches in, the, in what we call the Jewish diaspora area, Asia Minor and all of that. So it's an anxious church. It's a church that's kind of fearful for what the future holds for them. Uh, they're, they're scared about, about where they're going with all of this. And it's, so I think as we think about it, Ephesians is a perfect uh, letter for us as an anxious church. I mean, I think the, the church in 2015, I'm sure all of you have been seeing polls and, and all of these things that are basically saying that church is so passe, right? Church is so last century or last decade, and everyone is leaving in droves and uh, abandoning the idea of church altogether. And I got to say, not without reason, <laughs> in a lot of cases, a lot of people are leaving for, for a lot of really good reasons. But what I would say is that I think this, it's an anxious time. Would we all agree with that? Amen? It's an anxious time for us as followers of, of Jesus Christ. And so we open up this letter. Uh, Paul offers us this word to an anxious church. And he, he begins to talk about how we are chosen to be blessed, set apart, chosen as God's people, chosen and blessed uh, and brought into the fold, adopted. And that not only that, but that we were chosen before the very formation of the foundations of the, of the earth. We were, and this is, this is one of those texts that talks that uh, John Calvin loves to, to grab onto to talk about election, to talk about predestination and all of those things. Um, by election, I mean that there are, you know, the idea that that people who uh, are saved in Christ have been ha, are, were destined for that uh, even before they were born. They were called out of that, and it, it speaks of God's omnipotence and and uh, all of that. But it, this text seems to also talk a little bit about God's providence for our lives, in that in that we are destined to be God's people and we are destined to be blessed and we are destined 
to be found righteous, Paul says in this, and without blame before God, and that that destiny leads us to live lives that are to the praise of God's glory. And I want to be honest here for a moment that when it comes to the idea of God's providence, when it comes to the idea that God intercedes uh, on the behalf of certain folks uh, and, and chooses to intercede on their behalf, I get a, I get a little nervous about that idea. I, I get uncomfortable with the idea of God's providence. And I, I get personally uncomfortable because there's been a lot of things in my life. I look at it, and I used to say this a lot. I used to look back and go, man, God has blessed me, uh, has so blatantly blessed me in a way that it's clear that God has some plan for my life and, and, and God must be making things happen. It's, you know, God has... I used to tell people, it was, as if, it was as if God removed all the obstacles that stood in my way of becoming a minister, for example. I have colleagues that it, it was hell for them trying to become uh, an ordained clergy person. The, like they went through all, everything, seemed like roadblocks just kept falling in their way and, and uh, they ran into all kinds of troubles. And I used to, I used to wonder to myself, do you ever think that maybe that's a sign of some sort? <laughs> like maybe this isn't really for you. It, and it was usually because I knew these folks. <laughs> and I kind of wondered that even if the roadblocks weren't there. <laughs> but a lot, of, a lot of my colleagues who just were so desperate to serve in the church and seemed to run into problems. And every time they, I, would, I would hear about this, I would think, man, it was so easy for me. I mean, things just kind of fell into place. And I used to think about that as God's providence. But then a, then a friend of mine, another colleague, said, well, maybe it's not so much that things, you know, maybe things fell into place and maybe things were so easy for you because you made the easy choices. What? That was a little convicting statement that struck me. Like, maybe I took the easy path. That's why it was so easy, right? Why aren't I in the Congo, you know, or something, doing, you know, doing something hard, (laughs) you know. Uh, Instead, I'm choosing to do some of the easier things. But here's my real issue with the idea of providence, is that if God is somehow breaking in and interceding and moving things out of the way because I'm special, then what does that mean for the rest of you what does that mean when God doesn't intercede? What does it mean when uh, providence doesn't work in your favor? And it kind of means that like some certain people are God's favorite and other people aren't. Uh, I gotta say, I'm a, I'm real uncomfortable with that idea. I don't really like that idea. And, uh, and what I don't like about it is that the, that does not sound like the God we worship. Amen? That does not sound like the way Jesus talked about who God is. Amen? It sounds a little bit not quite right. And the Holy Spirit within me says, wait a minute, there's something a little screwy about that. And Paul kind of gets into that here. There's almost a cautionary tale 
there's almost a little caution in this text in that Paul talks about God's will and that it is God's will to gather all people and all things on earth and heaven to Christ, to God, through Christ. So, um, you know, if, if we want to talk about providence, I'm willing to say that God has a will, has a desire for us. But what, I'm, what I would say is that that desire extends to all people. And it's not just special few people. We're Baptists, so we're, you know, we're free will folks, right? We're, we're liberty, uh, we have freedom, we have soul freedom. So, so being Baptist, the idea of, a, of certain folks uh, have, uh, you know, are destined to be God's favorite and other folks aren't, that just, that's very unbaptist idea. We have, we're, we're all about the freedom to uh, choose God and God's freedom to choose us and everybody else. So the first thing I would say about this text today is that it affirms that God has a will. God has a desire for God's people. And again, I would say that that, that desire, that will, is not, is not that God is some kind of puppet master that's pulling the strings and making things all move around but that God has a loving desire for God's creation. And that there are things that God wishes for us, that God desires for us as God's creation, as God's people, as beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God. That there are things that God desires for us. And... Uh, it's not what we're at right now. It's kind of where God hopes to take us. The second thing I would say is that here this text affirms that, that when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, God is revealing through Christ what that will is about. Right? What Jesus, Jesus as the incarnation of God Jesus as the revelation of God. That is, Jesus as something that reveals God to us and reveals God's will to us. What we see in Christ is God's desire for us. And so as we look at the teachings and the life of Jesus, we see what God desires for us. Every time Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, in the Gospels. Every parable that talks about it, every miracle that talks about it, what Jesus is talking about is the way the world would be if God were in charge and not Caesar or not you know, Alexander the Great or not the, the Babylonians or not the Egyptians, all of that history, or not you know, corporations or not other dictators, right? Not fascist dictators. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God, He's talking about the way the world would be if God were in charge. And Jesus is revealing to us the will of God for us in the world, for everybody. When Jesus lifts up those who are marginalized, Jesus is revealing to us the will of God 
for all people. When Jesus is tearing down the powers that, that oppress. When Jesus is condemning those who hold all the power and hold it over people's heads. Jesus is revealing to us the will of God for all people. And when Jesus is dying and rising again into new life, a glorified life, Jesus is demonstrating for us God's will for all people that we can, that when something has gone wrong, we can die to the old self and be raised into a new creation, into something new. In other words, we get a do-over, right? We get a mulligan. We can, we can try again and again <laughs> and again. And we can keep trying. And there is nothing, our mistakes and our faults are never going to separate us from the love of God. And here's the other thing. When Jesus reveals all this compassion, all this love on people, when Jesus heals the deaf and teaches them to hear, when people, when Jesus heals the blind and teaches them to see when Jesus touches the leper and heals them of their leprosy and makes them whole again. Jesus is revealing to us what, G what God wants for the world and wills for the world. And so yes, we've been given God's providence uh, through the teachings of Christ, through the life of Jesus Christ as revealed to us in who Jesus is. And, and however, as far as providence goes, here's the other thing I would say, is that uh, God has a will. God has revealed that will in the person Jesus. And it's not so much that God is pulling the strings, but God is equipping you and me and giving us everything we need to acknowledge that will, to make that will a reality. Amen? When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about where we go when we die. Jesus is talking about the way the world would be if God were in charge and the way the world can be. There is nothing Jesus does or says about this world that is inaccessible, that is not obtainable. They're big. I mean, it's a big God-sized vision, but it's obtainable. And we have been given every good and perfect... And this is what Paul is starting to get at, is that we have been equipped and blessed and given many things, all designed to help us live out this revelation of God, this will of God in the world we live in, to the praise of God's glory. Amen? To the praise of His glory. When we live into God's will, when we live into that kingdom of God, when we live into the kind of world Jesus talked to us about and the kind of world that is revealed to us, we give glory to God. We become the glory of God. And our life becomes a praise to God's glory. Amen? Amen. I'm going to leave it there, actually. <laughs> and I'm going to offer us a prayer. But that's our message today.
Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we are thankful so much for providence. And we're thankful that we can understand that providence as that You have revealed Your will to us in Christ. That the world can, will, and ought to be a different place. And that You have equipped us to answer that and to reveal that and to live that out to the praise of Your glory. We ask all of this in the precious and powerful name of Christ. Amen.